Hey guys, before we get started with Rusty Isaacs of Mountaineer Roasting Company, just wanted to take a second to discuss something that's happening in the Charleston community right now. You might have heard 18-year-old K.J. Taylor was shot and killed on Charleston's west side, and in his honor, the Greater Kanawha Valley Foundation has created a scholarship in his name, and they're asking for donations. So please think about supporting this and his family. Again, there's more info in the notes below, so check that out, how you can donate, where to go, and we ask that you keep his family in your thoughts as well. All right. Now to the episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast, sponsored by Mr. B. There's just something about coffee that brings people together, right? It's communal, starts conversations, and if prepared just right... Well, it's just flat out good. And that's what Mountaineer Roasting Company in Morgantown is pretty much all about with their specialty coffee. And today we're joined by Rusty Isaacs, one of the founding partners. Rusty is a Charleston native and he took a risk starting a small business, but he's found success by focusing on his customers and his community. But as always, we definitely have a lot of fun with this too. We discuss things like latte art, where they get their beans from, specifically where in South America they get their beans from, and who all gets to do the taste testing when it makes its way to Morgantown. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Rusty Isaacs over a cup of delicious Mountaineer Roasting Coffee. Mace, hit the music. shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. And today's a super special one. And I know we do say that every episode, but this time (laughs) it's incredibly so because we are joined by Rusty Isaacs. And if you guys have been following our social media, you know that we've recently partnered uh, with Mountaineer Roasting Company, which is a coffee company based out of Morgantown, West Virginia. And we're gracious enough to be joined by Rusty today. So what's up, Rusty? Good morning. Morning. It's good to be with you guys. Thank you, man. Thank you. We were just talking because you got the second shot, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, you, it sounds like you, you, for one day, it puts you on your butt, but like all, all is well now, right? You're feeling yep. much better. I'm pretty good now. After a couple of coffees yesterday morning, I was feeling better, <laughs> So, Yeah, man. Talk about a time to be, I mean, speaking of the shots, you, small business during COVID. I mean, just generally how, you know, how much of a challenge has that been for you all? And, you know, what, what do you think that you've maybe learned from it that'll be even better for going forward for what you guys do? Yeah, it's been unique for us uh, because, of course, it, it, it did hurt us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were in a way fortunate in the sense that we were in the middle of working on our, our next shop location. So uh, to explain, we had a, our roastery and shop on campus um, okay. at the Hill Crossings building. Uh, so when the students were about to go on spring break, uh, we were ready to shut down for a week and then reopen as soon as they got back from spring break. And then that got pushed back another week and we were like, right. okay, an extra long spring break and they'll be back. Right. right. <laughs> nobody ever came back. Uh, <laughs> then <a> so, year later. <laughs> yeah. So we realized pretty quickly that we would not be reopening that location, unfortunately. 
because of the circumstances uh, with COVID in the university, but also with the dining services and the university. Right. Uh, so we decided to put all of our efforts into uh, working on our new location off campus, uh, which we opened on February 8th of this year. And uh, it was good to have the time and the space to do that. However, mm -hmm. we did go a few months without like any sales in our wholesale right. or anything. Almost all of our wholesale customers shut down at least for a, a short period of time. We did get a surge of online orders, uh, which was great. Um, but the majority of our sales, our wholesale was down for a really long time. And it took, it took until around the summer until that got back to some normal numbers, uh, mm -hmm. pulling in wholesale. Uh, but then, yeah, we'd been, we just spent the whole time working on the shop and it took a really long time to get it going. Uh, just doing any kind of construction or anything during COVID was tough. Uh, right. but we, we got it to happen. We had a couple stalls out in construction where we had a few contractors that contracted COVID. And so we had to stop for a few days and then come back. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenge, but I think we opened at a good time. Like we opened when things are starting to right. reopen and we're, we're currently, I know West Virginia is it, I believe full capacity, but you still have to be socially distanced with masks. And mm -hmm. we don't have a, we don't have a huge shop here, but we are able to fit a decent number of people in here spaced out, uh, safely. So, um, uh, it's been nice. We are, it's nice to open the doors and have people able to sit inside, uh, safely, but we are looking forward to eventually opening the bar, uh, and then getting some outdoor seating and stuff going. Talk to us a little bit about the inspiration for the coffee itself. When did the, you know, the business idea kind of come about? Where did the inspiration to start brewing come from? And, and even some of the names of the coffee, all West Virginia related, you know, kind of walk us through some of the, the early inspiration for you. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a funny story. I, uh, I started working up at the Evansville Crossings building. Um, the guys who originally built that uh, are a group called Fresh Hospitality. And okay. uh, the two main guys that run that, uh, Mike Bodner and Doug Vanskoy are WVU grads. And then I also work directly with uh, Dan Simpson, who's currently the CEO of Tzatziki's and he's also a mm -hmm. WVU grad. Yeah. And so um, I was managing one of the shops up there and uh, we, I was doing all the coffee side of everything. And then they approached me and they were working directly with octane coffee out of Atlanta at the time. Yeah. And they had said that they were looking to do an extension of octane's, uh, roastery, a Northern extension, uh, up in West Virginia, uh, because actually Tony, I think it's Tony Riffle, the, uh, owner of octane was a WVU grad as well. And so we were working on that. We got, we bought the roaster, bought all the equipment. I had a guy come up and train me with roasting and we had a whole thing fleshed out. And then we find out one day that Octane had sold their company to Revelator Coffee. Now and Octane so was I, on the top floor too, right? Yes, yeah, that was, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That was right as we were kind of on our way out you know, time, yeah. back in 13. So, yeah. okay, cool. And so yeah. I call, of course, my bosses and now business partners and ask them, you know, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we got all this stuff. Let's make our own brand. They said, you want to build your own brand? I said, a hundred percent. And so uh, put in all the work to build the brand and uh, turned it into what it is now. But <clears throat> it's not the most uh, typical start to a business, but right. it pretty well for us. Uh, but yeah, of course, a lot of the inspiration was uh, around West Virginia because we're all grads of WVU. And mm -hmm. they, uh, while their business is, is based down in Nashville, they're very adamant about um growth of business in West Virginia and keeping highly skilled people in the state as well. So 
Yeah. I mean, good lesson there is like nothing in business goes accordingly. It's all, yeah. it's all, uh, you know, it's all, yeah, operating like in the forest, blindfolded, looking for something is like what small business is. Um, well, I've been very fortunate to, to learn from them as business mentors right. as well. So. All right, guys, you know the drill. This is the Mountaineer Roasting Coffee Break. And look how fitting. I mean, we have Rusty on this episode. But go over to MountaineerRoasting.com and use code MEDIA15. MEDIA15 gets you 15% off your online orders. So all this delicious coffee that we're talking about, you can buy it online and have it shipped right to your house. It is so fresh. The bag smells amazing. There's all kinds of different grinds and blends available. Buy it. Use code MEDIA15. You'll save 15% off your order, and you can have it shipped right to your door. You don't have to fool with going into a grocery store, buying that cheap, you know, I'm not even going to say the competitors, whoever they are. Don't buy that cheap stuff. Buy Mountaineer Roasting Company Coffee. It's a West Virginia small business. Rusty is awesome. Support them. They support us. We support you guys. That's why we have a code MEDIA15. So use it. MountaineerRoasting.com will get you to the website. Use that. MEDIA15. Thank you guys so much. Take us back a little bit before you were this coffee entrepreneur in West Virginia. You grew up in, in Charleston, though, right? In Charleston, West Virginia. We all three did here. Um, what was the game plan? Like, you went up to school. Like, what was in your mind of, like, where you wanted to head? And, like, did you like did you feel like you always, like, loved coffee or just kind of, like, fell into place? Like, you never truly envisioned yourself running a coffee shop. But Or did you, hey, like, you know what? If it comes to the chance of me running my business, like, I'm, I'm going to do it. Or did you, like, did you have that mindset growing up or was it just kind of fell into place? Well, yeah, coffee has always been a passion of mine since about when I was a senior in high school. Um, and it obviously matured over time as I learned more about the, the industry. And I, I, my first uh, job in coffee was on summers back from college. I would work at Moxie in Charleston. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the owner, um, TJ, was, TJ Baldwin was so good to me there. He would be very great about teaching us about stuff and that we, uh, they always serve very high quality coffee from commonplace up in Pittsburgh. Um, and then he was very generous about sharing equipment with his employees and everything. And like, just whenever we had questions about stuff, he spurred on all of our nerdiness essentially. Um, and then when I was also in college, I started working at the grind up here in Morgantown. So Love that place, yep. yeah, all throughout college, I was working in coffee and then I was always trying to learn more. Um, I have a habit of if I like something, I can't just kind of like it. I have to know everything about it. Um, I've said that a few times too. I'm the same way, man. It's, <laughs> it's, I, I, that's that why I can't do drugs or gamble because I'm, uh, <laughs> like, I'm obsessive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my wife would say you could definitely see that with my uh, bourbon collection I have at home. <laughs> I tend to go all in on things that I like a lot. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I've always, I've always loved coffee. Uh, I've always, it's always been a dream of mine to have a shop. But uh, later on in college, I didn't really feel like it was realistic, uh, especially when it came to making a legitimate living off of it. Um, so I, I was initially uh, a pre- on a pre-med track in college, uh, but it just wasn't for me. And so I ended up getting a degree in international development because it was just what was interesting to me at the time. And it also mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily a money-making degree either. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of came full circle because I worked with a group uh, at WVU in college called First Hand Coffee um, that Dr. Bradley Wilson ran okay. uh, out of the geography department. And we would get coffee from a farm down in Nicaragua and sell it 
and use all the proceeds to work on development projects down there. And for my capstone, I was able to go down to the farm for a little bit and I wrote my capstone paper on how to employ effective developments through the coffee industry as one of the most direct links we have to some of the poorest parts of the world. Wow. And so that was really great. And it was an incredible experience. But then I graduated from college and didn't know what to do. And so I ended up driving a beer truck around Morgantown, uh, <laughs> which was not anything related to my degree. Um, I'll keep you busy though. Beer truck. Yeah. Morning, <laughs> yeah. My, uh, you know, I was dating my wife at the time and she was still finishing nursing school. So I stuck around Morgantown. Yeah. But it, that job ended up actually being, uh, being pretty good because I got to meet almost every single uh, restaurant and bar owner in town wow, uh, yeah. through that job. And so the, it led to wholesale customers later on through mm. my, uh, through my coffee business. Um, but yeah, I just remember specifically one day there's, there's a, a group of guys, uh, that own a business out in, in Santa Cruz called cat and cloud coffee. Um, okay. and they have a podcast and like they, they started the podcast and kind of chronicled the opening of their business. And as I was driving this truck around for nine months around Morgantown, I listened to this podcast chronicling them opening their business. And I just remember one day driving and just being like, screw this. I have to work in coffee again. I, mm -hmm. I can't like, I love it too much. And so like you guys said, Octane was operating at the time I was their salesman. And so I right. talked to the manager and he immediately hired me as a barista up there. And I was like, start falling in place. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's funny yeah. too, your, ahead, your degree, your degree of was it you said international policy or international development yeah. like how like if you actually think about it how related that is to coffee because mm -hmm. i mean so much of coffee and um you know i think a lot of people you know maybe i don't know how many the majority of people just drink yeah. it they get it at their their store and that's like all they think about but then if you think about it from like a supply chain perspective and a, a human like the human perspective it often comes from regions that are economically challenged and pretty remote from america right i mean most coffee is correct me if i'm wrong grown like near the equator in high altitude right yep. so, so the process of growing that and then getting it to the round of the world is a you know a very i'm sure complex supply chain how much of that did you have to like as a coffee entrepreneur that you have to like study and learn and, and know are there any kind of like nuanced things that would shock a lot of people about getting beans and then eventually turn it into a nice hot cup of coffee that we're, we're all three drinking right now uh, I think I was pretty familiar with it just from being a coffee nerd in the first place. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think one of the things that you learn working in the industry after a little bit is, <clears throat> excuse me, that it's not uh, all quite as romanticized as the coffee nerds would like it to be. Uh, a lot of these, these farmers are just growing coffee because it is the best option for them right. uh, or because they've generationally grown coffee. Um, mm -hmm it does, they're not necessarily passionate about it. And so that's kind of where it's important to, for us to make sure that we're paying high and fair prices for the coffee. Um, there are a lot of farmers out there that are very passionate about uh, their coffee. Um, but a lot of farmers are just doing it because that's what they have to do in their area to, to get by. Um, there was a, uh, what was interesting, I met a lady, I believe she worked for Royal, Royal Coffee Importers uh, at the Specialty Coffee Expo, and her job was essentially to be traveling through Asia, Asian areas that were uh, able to sustain coffee and mm -hmm. convincing farmers to switch from growing uh, rice to coffee because they would be making a lot more money on more the money. coffee. Um, but <clears throat> when you get to areas like that where there's just generations of people growing the same crop, it's it's really hard to to get people to switch. Um, mm. And yeah, 
I think I think the reality of yeah. how difficult it is for some some people in coffee growing areas is the probably the, the more shocking thing because it's mm-hmm. not uh, as happy-go-lucky as everybody would like it to be. Right. It's a, it, honestly no different than like a farmer. I mean, mm-hmm. anywhere across the world, it kind of sounds like it's it goes along that same you know, that, that same idea. How do you even kind of get involved with these guys? You know, where it sounds like obviously you had some relationships with some business partners in the past. Is that who introduces you to the guy that you, you buy from now? And like, you know, how do you even kind of get connected to, to even, you know, kind of get started <laughs> Fly down there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the farmer that we've most recently gone to visit is uh, Ricardo down in Antigua, Guatemala. And he is a, a very successful farmer down there. His family's been growing coffee down there for, I think, three generations. Wow. Um, and he grows some phenomenal specialty coffee. And he also has an avocado farm on top of his property. But uh, And he calls it specialty avocados, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but um, he, we got connected to him through other coffee roasters um, that, are, that we're already buying from him. There's a lot of big name people that were already purchasing from him. Um, but for future things, we actually had some plans to do a couple other trips before COVID hit. Um, but uh, most of those connections will come through our importer. We work through uh, Cafe Imports and they're, I think, one of the best specialty coffee importers in the, in the country. Um, and they're very transparent about where the coffee comes from. So I can go to them and buy pretty much all the coffee I need, but I can also use them to make connections, uh, at origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they host trips a lot of the time or they've got, if I just call them and say, Hey, I'm going to Costa Rica. They're like, Oh, we got this guy here. He'll take you to here, here, and here. And so right. they help, they help make those connections. Um, and they've got, uh, you know, great goals about growing these different coffee regions. And so they, they really want to connect people like me to, to producers so that we can be continuing to, to grow the coffee industry in that way. Hey guys, just a quick reminder that this podcast would not be possible without Mr. B. Mr. B Chips is the only chip that's made in West Virginia and their CEO, Mary Ann Kettleson. Look, she's a rock star entrepreneur, philanthropist, uh, community activist. She recently just um, developed this scholarship, this STEM scholarship for women in the oil and gas industry and four people just won it. So like she's doing so much for the community, so much for West Virginia and she supports the podcast. So shout out to Mr. B. They are an incredible group up there uh, producing a delicious chip, but also just giving back to the community in which they do business. So thank you to Mr. B for making this possible. Talk to me about, I mean, because coffee shops are such, um, you know, everyone, it feels like a, like an oasis. It feels like a relaxing environment. A lot of people go and study there. They hang out there. Um, you know, in, in as far as like being a part of the community, you know, very much so it seems like you guys really like enjoy like working with the college students, giving them like experience, like kind of mm-hmm. in their first jobs and whatnot, and then just being integrated into the community and then West Virginia in general, right? I mean, like all the the themes and, and that's why we, you know, felt like we connected so well, because that's a lot of the stuff that we're trying to promote and highlight. Um, how, you know, when you sit down and, and draw up a business plan or you're thinking about strategically about the company. Like how much effort do you guys put into that type of stuff? Like thinking about, wow, okay, we need to be like a part of the community, not just like a, a business, like, a, like it feels like a Starbucks moves in. I don't really feel connected to it. It just feels like, oh, it's there. It's a big corporation. Yeah. But when you're a small business, like your people or your customers become like your friends almost. And that, that's so important to, I guess, like cherish that relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> what you said, I think a lot of the, the relationship with the customers and everything is going to come down to the culture that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one of the things that I really love about a business is when you can walk in and you can see that the employees are having fun being there. I think that makes a huge difference and it makes right. you want to be there and engage with them. Um, my employees do an amazing job about engaging with our customers and welcoming people and helping people feel, uh, you know, like I, w- I want someone to walk in and this to be a highlight of their day. Right. It, it could be, you know, a five minute interaction and it could either be something that makes your day better or easily makes your day worse if you have a bad service experience. And mm-hmm. so the, the hospitality side of that is super important to us. But as far as fitting into the local community, you know, we obviously are still in the town that we started. We haven't expanded outside of town. Um, We would love to at some point, but Mm -hmm. um, besides wholesale, but uh, I think everything so far has come really naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I told you guys before, I think it's, we want to build a business that feels like it's adding value to the community. Right. Um, And I think that means a couple of things, but uh, specifically, I think it just means it's something that people, if it wasn't there, people would kind of miss it, you know, mm-hmm. like we talked about like Big Timber or, you know, something like that, or like Kinship and Charleston, like those are brands. Right. People would really miss that if it wasn't there. It adds a lot of value to, to people in those towns. Um, and especially for us providing kind of a daily service for people, like I think that we can, we can make people in Morgantown a little bit better every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, we just kind of naturally right now work with a lot of other businesses. Uh, you know, obviously we are getting a good relationship with you guys now, but we've got great relationships with several breweries and with some other coffee shops and stuff around the state. And so I think those natural relationships um, mm-hmm. are attractive to the customers, but they're honestly just natural for us because we just love talking with and becoming friends with other businesses around right. us that are doing a good job. And it feels like too, like West Virginia specifically, it feels like, um, you know, it's big enough to grow as a small business. It's big enough to grow. It doesn't feel like you're direct. I mean, sure you have competitors and whatnot, but it's big enough to where it feels like you can grow, but also small enough to feel like, Hey, like I know a guy that lives on this side of the state and then like in the Southern part, and then you build a relationship. And like, we found like doing, you know, Mountaineer media is that, you know, and then you kind of meet people that know people and it feels like everyone almost knows every damn buddy. Like, and it's just, it's fun. I, I, it's the perfect place to grow a small business in my opinion i think in, in, from a business perspective it's it's awesome because right some of, some of the best businesses around the state we can all uh build relationships with each other right. and work together because i think what we talk about the the majority of businesses in the state have that same mindset of we just want mm-hmm. to create things that are going to benefit west virginia and that are going to like we love west virginia I, if i didn't i wouldn't be building a business here and living here like i love right. the state and so obviously I want my business to benefit that. And I think so many other people I talk to feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think kind of going back to something that you had said earlier, you weren't, you, you get to a point in your life where you weren't sure if this was the may or may not be the right direction because you weren't hundred percent sure if you were going to make money off of it. You know, you weren't sure if it was going to be your living, but I mean, that is the biggest fear for all entrepreneurs, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you can start a business, but are you going to be able to sustain the business and make a living? Mm-hmm. What, maybe not so much advice, but why did you feel like this was going to work for you? And, you know, mm-hmm. why does it feel like West Virginia does is becoming that kind of culture where, okay, if we continue to go down this path, then this will be a state of entrepreneurs that can fit in and, you know, certainly sustain. 
Well, I think from a coffee perspective, I, uh, I didn't have a big enough picture of what we could do. Uh, and so I think meeting my business partners and getting, I, like, I didn't go to business school. And so meeting them and learning a bit more about, um, you know, building a business plan and like working on ROI and like all these things, I think it gave me a bigger vision of what we were capable of doing. And that gave me some encouragement on how this could be um, something that is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think from, you know, just from a coffee industry perspective, I do think that that's what I was thinking. But uh, as far as just business in West Virginia goes, I think there's just a lot of things that we're still missing here uh, in the sense of there's a lot of a lot of niches that can still be filled by specialty mm-hmm. businesses, uh, especially when it comes to stuff like coffee and beer and like clothing and things like that. I think that there's still a lot of room for brands like that to come in the state and to grow in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's true. And like, that's what I've always said is that I, I think that West Virginia can be, um, you know, like I, I love, we've talked to a lot of incredible people that are, that are, have been a part of like someone like John Chambers, right? I mean, he's leading, his vision is so large and he's not thinking about like, I mean, he of course works with small businesses and startups, but his vision is like massive industries and things that can really rev- revolutionize West Virginia. And I agree, we do need to embrace those, you know, those massive industries yeah. and technologies and whatnot, but it feels like West Virginia can be like a bunch of micro success stories in these like small towns of like personally like big like you mentioned big timber and then like st- like small breweries and whatnot um and then coffee shops and clothing like, yeah like kayak you know a little kayak like like place on the river like can be like a hub for hundreds of people in a small community like it doesn't mean their plan has to be like this domination of you know huge growth this and that but it, it's important to the local community and people love supporting that people like being like going somewhere familiar and you yeah. know feeling like something's in their community and not just like a like a dollar general that pops up on every corner in West Virginia. Like I hate that aspect of it. Um, so I, you know, I always root for small businesses when it comes to that, because it's just um, people like it. And it's just, you can see the people's passion when they, when they have their business. Yeah. I think it's, it's a lot of people look at West Virginia and see uh, a lack of opportunity based on just demographic and just population and everything. The fact that we only have a couple, you know, things that can qualify as a city and, uh, I think the opposite of like, I see it as the opposite of there's so much room for uh, mm-hmm. opportunity for, for brands to, to come in. Right. So like a specialty coffee company could look at expanding into West Virginia and be like, ah, oh, there's not much of a market for us there. And I'm like, well, we're trying to create the market for specialty coffee in West Virginia. Right. Yeah. Like we, like I talked to you guys about this. I think that, you know, one of our goals is to be, is to just raise the the standard for, especially coffee in the whole state. And I, I hope that more and more and more brands come alongside of that as well. Like, I don't want to be the only one. There's obviously lots of good brands right now. I'm not trying to say that like tip top and coin. There's a lot of great coffee brands in the state right now. Um, but we can still sustain way more than there are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, each town could have its own awesome specialty coffee shop and everything. And so right. I just, there's, I hope that we can help, through eventually through events. And we we've talked about doing with a lot of other owners talked about doing uh, some specialty coffee festival type events. Me and uh, Venu who owns Charleston have talked about that a lot. They've been a long-term partner of ours. Um, And so we really are excited about trying to grow just the the coffee industry in the state Uh, and not just from a shop perspective, business perspective, but also just from 
a uh, customer perspective, right? Like we want to create events that not just people that work in the industry are going to want to go to, but that like regular right. people are going to want to go to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, take us a little bit, maybe behind the scenes of, of kind of how it works on your side. You know, how many trips have you taken, you know, when you do travel internationally, what, what are you looking for? I mean, you're, you're talking to people, are you, you know, um, just looking over the the beans themselves or like maybe walk us through the process. Cause we, when we had talked the first time, you kind of gave us the breakdown, you know, maybe you can almost like walk us through that again and, and kind of start with, you know, some of your former trips. Yeah. How do you I mean, find the best uh, beans? Where are the best beans at? How do, how do you judge a good bean? <laughs> just, uh, you know, just the process of buying coffee or. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, I think it was like essentially like when you, when you're, I don't know, like, are you buying, is it like 50 barrels of it or is it like, okay, we're going to secure like a hundred bags a month or like what type of like the quantity and so, like that aspect of it yeah, is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're pretty small still uh, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Um, but we, uh, yeah, coffee, coffee is transported in um, burlap sacks. Usually it's got a plastic liner on the inside of that anywhere from about 60 to 70 kilos um so about 155 pounds or so um we get them shipped to us by the pallet and we usually have 10 per pallet um and then we warehouse them at cafe imports and cafe Mm -hmm. imports brings them in for us uh if i was going to be purchasing directly from origin and bringing it to myself i would have to be buying at least half of a shipping containers worth of coffee gotcha quite a lot uh but what Cafe Imports allows me to do is to essentially throw the 15 bags that I'm buying mm. on shipping container that they're already uh, getting from the region and then bring it in. Uh, and then they can warehouse it for me and ship it to me when I need gotcha. it. Um, and so from that perspective, like that, this is one of those things, I guess, like I mentioned earlier, where the whole kind of fair trade, direct trade thing, the customer see gets a little mm-hmm. blurred uh, because in, in the specialty coffee industry, we really don't focus a whole lot on those those keywords because we care more about the transparency of the coffee and like where exactly it came from because all of those are really just certifications and that's not a good or a bad thing um but the majority of farmers are not doing really high volume the majority of farmers are growing a small amount of coffee and selling it to a cooperative or a common mill and then it all just lumped into a regional coffee right Mm -hmm. and so they cannot afford to get these certifications and then there's larger farmers like ricardo and i could be wrong but i don't believe he has any of those certifications and he could probably afford them but he just it's not worth it to him because he's selling to some of the best specialty uh coffee roasters in the country and that doesn't mean that he's not adhering to all of the things that Mm -hmm. the certifications uh lay out uh he's growing organic coffee and he's you know pays his uh farmer or his uh the seasonal workers that come in much higher than everybody else so those certifications are one thing that people get kind of tied up on uh kind of sorry i'm answering your question from earlier with that um, no, you're good. <laughs> it's okay so, <laughs> but, so some uh, of it's kind of like pr so basically you're saying it's not always what you seem like even though like yeah, it, we have yeah. a, whatever like a certification that doesn't always mean that it's like the purest form like yes. mine from the yeah. earth type deal okay <clears throat> yeah i so we we just essentially try to focus more on transparency about you know we know where this coffee came from we know how it got here we know how much everybody made in the process and we believe mm-hmm. that it's fair right 
Um, and so I think that's kind of what our focus is right now. Uh, but we, like I said, Ricardo is kind of our first, what I guess I've been calling like a direct relationship coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. And our goal is to develop uh, the majority of our coffees in that way. However, we had, like I said, we had a couple of trips planned out before the pandemic and none of those have panned out uh, yet, but we are working on it. Um, So in that sense, uh, we don't have a whole lot of as many connections right this moment Mm -hmm. to the source right there. Uh, But when we went down there, it was an incredible experience. Um, We cut through a whole lot of Ricardo's coffees and picked several of them. Uh, and then he shipped samples back up to us. And then we picked one that we bought last year. Uh, and okay. then I just received samples from him for this season's harvest because they're all harvesting right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while we would have loved to go down there and to try them again, and I would have loved to take some employees with me um, right now, the best we can do is he sent us samples. We roasted them, cupped them, and we're going to pick one of them to buy for this next year. So okay. that's gotcha. how that process is looking right now. Hey guys, just another interruption. Sorry for all the interruptions. We have so much going on. We just want to share with you guys so much. Look, mountaineermedia.org is where you're going to go for everything that we have. But specifically, our bloggers are on there. They're pumping out amazing articles. But we also have a Mother's Day hat. Cooper, what the hell are you talking about? I know, it sounds crazy that I'd be pushing a Mother's Day hat. I never in my life thought this was going to be me. But here I am. It's because, you know, what the hell. It's mountaineermedia.org. Org is our website and if you go on there we've got this hat it's called the mountain mama hat it's a cute little hat it's got mountain mama on the front and on the back it's got the beautiful state flower which of course is the rhododendron so check it out it's like 30 bucks if you don't know what to buy your mom for mother's day and you know i'm notoriously late when i get gifts i don't know what to do may 9th is mother's day it's coming up we're about a month away look let us help you take care of that Go to mountaineermedia.org, buy your mom the Mountain Mama Mother's Day hat, and um, you know she'll be so happy. Actually, Mother's Day, I mean, think about this, was founded in West Virginia, 1908, 1910, something like that. Like at a church in West Virginia, Mother's Day was first celebrated. How cool is that? What a beautiful connection. Mother's Day, let's all celebrate it. God bless our mothers. Go to mountaineermedia.org and shop the Mountain Mama hat. Thank you guys so much for supporting us and let's get right back to the episode. And you get it in your, in your facility. Um, is it, and it's obviously, I'm going to call it raw and that's probably maybe not the right term, but it's like, it's unroasted. Right. And then because yes, yeah. one so, thing I love, one thing I love about your bags and guys, if you're listening, remember code media 15 gets you 15% off some great coffee that you can ship right to your doorstep. But on the bag, if you notice, it'll say handwritten note, it'll say roasted on a certain date. So mm-hmm. like clearly it's so fresh. You can smell this coffee like through the box. Like it's so fresh. Um, how, What's that process like? You, I mean, it, does it get thrown into a giant like machine type roaster thing? Yeah. And then it's like so within a day or two, it's out the door? Or? The coffee coffee is a, a seed of a, of a cherry that grows on a tree, right? And so okay. it looks like a, like a little green seed, essentially. Um, a okay. little green bean. And so um, we get it, like I said, in the burlap sacks. And then yep. uh, when we roast it, we have a roaster which is essentially a rotating drum with heat under it okay. and uh, that's in the simplest sense uh, but then we have some temperature probes in there that we can use to measure and track what's going on inside of the roaster and through gotcha. that through a program that I have I can build essentially a recipe for each coffee really 
So I can see because different coffees are going to behave differently. Um, we've got, you know, some coffees are really small and uh, it, I'm trying to think of the simplest way to put this, but uh, size of the bean and water content in the coffee is, is makes a big difference on how you roast it and how much heat the coffee can stand. Because our goal is to <clears throat> essentially find the happiest place for that coffee, right? Uh, and not mm -hmm. under roast it to overkill get any it. negative flavors or over roast it and get any negative flavors, right? Uh, a roaster that I like a lot once said that our job as roasters is just not to screw up the amazing <laughs> coffee that we've been given essentially. Um, and so, yeah, we just, we, we, through trial and error, obviously we get to a point uh, where we feel like it's got a good profile and then we can set that profile and, and repeatedly roast that every single time. Now that we've been doing this for a long time, we have some baseline recipes that we feel like we can throw any coffee in the roaster and it's going to come out tasting good, but that doesn't mean we're not going to fine tune it down mm -hmm. the line, right? Um, and that's all just through tracking uh, the temperature changes and everything inside of the roaster. But yeah, that process takes anywhere from eight to 11 minutes, depending on the coffee. We do gotcha. 16, 16 pound batches. Uh, oh. and, and as soon as it drops out of the roaster, we're packing it up into orders. And so we wow. roast, we roast every single week, usually five days a week. Uh, so all of the coffee that goes out for our online orders and to our wholesale customers goes out day of or day after it's been roasted. Damn. So. That's crazy. What, yeah. what an awesome. That's like a science, man. That's like a, I mean, you're doing like, like that's some real, um, I don't know. Like, did you just like, and, the, and then how do you judge? Is it, we have official tasters or are you like, are you chief tape? You know, do we like drink little <laughs> tiny samples of it? And you're like, mm, well, okay. yeah, we, like, what, I, what I referenced earlier, we do a lot of cupping, uh, which is cupping is the process of tasting coffees in, in a, uh, almost a, like a scientific method way where you, all the variables are exactly the same, except for the coffee, grind size, water, temperature, volume of water, the size of cup it's in, all of that stuff mm -hmm. is the exact same way, uh, except for the coffee. Um, and so it's, if you watch somebody do it, we're essentially, it's kind of, it's hard to explain without, understanding <laughs> you guys, but it would look, it would look very unusual. Let me just say that, but it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very common way across the entire industry of tasting coffee. Um, and it's just a way of being objective. It's not uh, necessarily the best way to drink coffee. It's just a way of being objective, removing all other variables except the coffee. And so we do that in order to work on purchasing coffees and in order to try different roasts and see how it's going. So like we just got, uh, five samples of a Colombian regional coffee and a Brazilian regional coffee in, and we mm -hmm. upped all 10 of those and picked one of each, uh, and booked them for the next eight to 10 months, uh, from cafe imports, because those are the coffees that we use the most through mm -hmm. our house coffee and our espresso. Uh, and so that was just me and my manager, Lucas, we just cupped them all, tasted them. And we didn't, what we do is we go through, we won't say anything the entire time. And then after we go through, we'll talk about what we think is best. Wow. I don't, I don't want to go influence his decision before he's had anything and be like, Oh, that one's definitely my favorite. And then he's going to be influenced by that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We would go through and we both unanimously picked the, the same coffees, which was nice, but I'm sure that won't happen every time. <laughs> what a fun, <laughs> then, what a fun job. What a fun, this, very cool. uh, when we're picking out new single origin coffees and stuff will be a really fun way to tag our employees in. Uh, and right. get input as well so do you are you like when you drink coffee for your enjoyment every morning are you straight black every day or are you do you mix it up are you a little sweetener like uh, almond milk unsweetened you know what's what's kind of what goes in your cup 
typically I'll, I'll make a pour over every morning for me and my wife. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and then when I get into work, I usually have a cappuccino. Mm -hmm. uh, cappuccino is by far my favorite. Just a small okay. eight ounce whole milk shot of espresso. That's it. Mm -hmm. So uh, occasionally I'll drink espresso. I pretty much don't really drink anything sweet, but that's just a personal preference thing. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you want chocolate or any kind of syrup <laughs> or anything in your latte. That's just fine. We yeah. buy incredibly delicious syrups from Holy Cacao for our shop. And so I'm very happy to serve them to people. The, I mean, like 80% of the drinks we sell are lattes with syrup in them. So of mm -hmm. course, yeah. make sure that that tastes amazing. But my personal preference is just a classic cappuccino. How do you do the beautiful? I've never understood this. These people are like, how do you guys do like the magic? How the, the hell are people? Yeah, no, I know. I can't, I can't figure it out either. Now, what the hell is so, going on there? <laughs> what I've always said is that latte art is kind of like, it's kind of like the icing on the cake. Like it's not necessary <laughs> to make the drink taste good, but yeah. When you when you see latte art, it's a sign that somebody steamed the milk well, right? Okay. So in order to have uh, properly, uh, in order to create latte art, you need to have properly textured milk. And by that, I mean that when we make you like a, a cappuccino or a latte, we're not going to give you something that's got big, giant, chunky bubbles on it where half the cup is full of foam. This right. is like real tight microfoam bubbles. It's almost like what the cap you would see on top of like a Guinness or something, right? Mm. Yeah. Like a small thick cap of mm -hmm. the goal is for that to be there the whole time that you're drinking the drink right it's wow. not just dissipate mm -hmm. in the first couple of minutes that you get it because bigger bubbles will uh fall apart more quickly but when you do like tighter microfoam bubbles they'll hold together for a longer time but the side effect of that is that you can actually kind of create lots of air with it and of Mona course Lisa on there. Like, like some of them are <laughs> so you know our manager lucas is is pretty awesome he pours swans all the time and crazy <laughs> and then they all make fun of me because I, I only make myself like two drinks a day and then i go out there and i can't pour as well as they can so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny and shout out let me give a quick shout out to brandon cook for you know get us connected he's um mm -hmm. you know he's he's super passionate about coffee um, and, you know, just want to give him a quick shout out for getting us connected oh, yeah. to you guys. Um, yeah, the best. You said how, he kind of hooked you up with the, the photographer, too, that you guys yeah. have, right? Because you guys have you talk about latte art. You guys have a, a good Instagram going, I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan, uh, Brandon's working on all the posts for the Instagram and then Nathan's doing all the content. Yeah. I actually knew Nathan from Charleston. He went to GW. Um, okay. And then my dad kind of connected me to him. And mm -hmm. then I essentially just hired him on the spot when we opened the first shop. And he's become an incredibly good photographer and he's done all of our photos and everything. Uh, we're getting some new packaging and some new merch and everything in over the next month or so. Cool. Okay. He's going to be doing all new product photos. We're going to be relaunching the website with uh, some other added features that we will announce when they happen. So yeah, uh, new coffees, new merch, a couple other fun things in there. So I love it. Yeah. And for people so listening, Brandon, Brandon's good at helping me get my crap together because I have too much. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I look at a photo like this and be, just be like, man, you guys That's got beautiful. your stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> One thing, latte art is very photogenic, man. People love it. Is, it, so. it is very photogenic. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. No doubt. And for, for people listening to, you know, Mountaineer Roasting Company is the name. And if you go to mountaineerroasting.com, that's mountaineerroasting.com and you use uh, code media15, that's our partnership that Rusty was fortunate enough to work with us on. So that means that you get 15% off the orders that come right to your door. So you can buy this. If you're listening to this and we're talking, you know, we've been talking coffee for an hour now, you're like, damn, I need a cup of coffee. <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead and snag yourself a bag. Um, and then, we'll like, a, you yeah, we'll have a coffee break in here too. That'll, yeah, <laughs> in this episode. 
Well, look, Brent, I mean, you know, Russell, we appreciate it, man. I mean, you're clearly passionate about um, about your craft, which is any, the heart of any small business. You're going to find a person who's just deeply passionate and wants to share that passion with other people. Um, and that's exactly the kind of um, small business and, and people um, that we need in our community that that love the craft and are good hearted people and that are trying to share it with the rest of us. So um, thanks, man. We, we totally appreciate you in the partnership and with us and then just in general what you're doing for the community and the state of West Virginia. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you having me on and putting a spotlight on the business here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I want to I want to share one more thing because Please. Rusty and I discovered this last time, totally off subject from coffee, that Rusty played lacrosse at GW. Yes. <laughs> and we definitely played at I played lacrosse at Capitol. We definitely yeah. played against each other because we're we're mm-hmm. a couple of years apart. I think you're a little older than I am. Yeah. Who so won? You definitely... Graduated in 2011. Who won? Oh, Kevin they did. Know. They they whooped up on us. Yeah, no, so pretty sure we beat you guys every time. But. So no, no, when yeah. Rusty when Rusty was there for sure. But 2012, we we beat GW for the first time, and then we beat GW again in 2013. That's because we all left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, CJ's I know. Sneaking that in there. <laughs> no, why? Well, yeah, I had to make sure that we we got that in there. But uh, that's it's no coincidence that when Rusty left, though, of course they you know they didn't quite get back to where they were. No, I was talking to a buddy uh, that I kind of just know through uh lacrosse colin morris you you probably played with colin yeah exactly so yeah tell colin i I shut colin down one time when we beat them i know i know (laughs) if he ever gets this far into this episode he'd be like he would be he'd be so ticked right now but anyway yeah man it's uh you ever pick up the stick anymore it's been a while it's been a while yeah i mean i'd love to when i was in college i would go shoot around a lot uh because they've got the goals on the the turf by the wreck yeah. Um, but I, it's been a while. I haven't, I haven't picked it up in a long time. A little rusty. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Was that not funny? All right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. CJ with the dad jokes. Close out. All right, guys. Thank you for joining another episode of Mountaineer Media. We'll see you guys later. Okay, everybody. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Got to clear the air here. Colin Morse. Those were not fighting words, I promise. Definitely, hopefully no hard feelings there. Colin was one of the best lacrosse players in the state of West Virginia at the time. There was no doubt about it. So me saying that maybe I uh, took the ball away from him once or twice, <laughs> to me, that was uh, shutting him down, quote unquote. Colin, hope you're doing well if you're you're listening to this. And also before we wrap this up, I got to say, our producer Mason Jack was a heck of a lacrosse player himself. I didn't mention it in the actual interview, but Mason and I played on the team together. We were in the same class. So our senior year, Mason in 14 games scored 40 goals and had 15 assists. He had 40 goals. Mace, buddy, those are uh, pretty impressive numbers looking back. I did a little digging, a little research there. But Mason, quite the player, too. So anyway, all right, that's enough of uh, the lacrosse edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Make sure to check out Mountaineer Roasting Company. Use that Media 15 to get a 15% discount on their website. And as always, stick with us right here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast.